we're so glad you guys came to church today. Um, I'm excited. We're continuing our Running with the Giant series. And today we're talking about the first chick in the series, Esther. And so I'm excited to be talking about her. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, so I'm really excited to bring it to you. Let's go ahead and let's go with time because I've got more content than I have time. So let's go ahead and put up our key verse for today is Hebrews. For this whole series has been Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let's read it together as a church family. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Amen and amen. That's a good verse right there. Let's pray together before we start. God, I thank you that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I just declare in this place that every ear be open and receptive, that every heart will be softened for the seed of the word of God. Father, I declare in this place that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You know, it wasn't long ago um, that I ran my first half marathon. And, you know, when you're crazy to run a half marathon, the only thing better than being crazy enough to run a half marathon is getting crazy friends to do it with you. And so I got Erica and uh, Donnie to do it with us. And I told them, I was like, it's going to be so much fun. We'll run 13.1 miles together. It'll be awesome. It'll be amazing. And we started training together. And I feel like we need to run a marathon just so that way we get to see each other all the time and train again. But we show up on our race day and I had set us up to run with a pace setter. And for those of you that aren't runners, for a pace setter is somebody who will run the whole race. Like you pick out the time that you want to finish in and you pick this person because they're going to make sure that you finish in that amount of time. And this person paces out your whole run. And so we show up on race day and I had creeped on this guy because social media makes it really great where you can find out about a person before you ever meet him. So I'd already met his dog, his kids, his wife, you know, known everything about him. And so I knew he was kind of quirky and funny. And we show up that day, and I realize that my pace setter is the only male wearing a lime green skirt and knee-high socks that were like some other bright, hideous color. And he was crazy. He was hilarious. He was so much fun. And this course that we had picked out, I didn't look at the elevations before I told them that we wanted to run that race. But this race, it's amazing. The first half, you feel like, I'm a warrior. I was born for this. This is amazing. I'm running the best time of my entire life. There's no way. I mean, I was running the first half, and I thought, man, I didn't even need a pay setter. I didn't even need him. This is so easy. And all of a sudden I realized the reason why it was so easy was because the first half was all downhill. <laughs> and we turn the corner and it's straight uphill. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. There's no way that we're going to do this. And so we start running. And Ken, I noticed because I'm watching on my watch how fast we're going, he would make a sprint up the hills. And he told us, he said, runners are born on the hills. And I thought, I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to be born. I'm going to die. And, and, but he goes, runners are born on hills. They're not born on downhill, and they're not born on flat tracks. They're born on hills. He's like, if you can run a hill, you can run anything. 
And I was running with him that day, and ever since that day, I've ran differently because I realized if I can sprint up a hill, then when I get to the top, I'm going to be able to go further faster than I did before. If I can build up the, the, my endurance with resistance, then how much better can I run when I don't have resistance? I, I am intrigued by the story of Esther because she's one of the people in the Bible who had everything going against her, and yet she still ran at an incredible pace. She had all kinds of things go wrong in her life, all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of situations, but yet we see Esther run the race of faith and do it in such amazing fashion. She was, uh, just for those of you that don't know, Esther is a small book in the Bible. If you're like me, you don't know all the books of the Bible because you weren't raised in children's church, and so you have to do the flip. Does anybody do the flip when you go to try to find it? And then you don't see it, so you do the flip again. And then there's always that awkward moment where you have to go to the front and, like, see the table of contents. Anybody in the place? Thank God for smartphones, right? (laughs) And so Esther is like a teeny tiny book in your Bible. Um, In fact, in my Bible, it's page 754. And it's just teeny tiny. It comes right after all the stories of great kings. And it comes right before all the great prophets. And if you almost flip too fast, you would miss it. But inside this story is one of the most amazing books about God's favor and his goodness. And I challenge you, if you've never read the book of Esther this week during your quiet time, set out some time and just kind of read it for yourself and see what God shows you. Anyways, with that, Esther is born to a mom and dad, like we all are. And uh, really revelatory. You're going to walk away from that. She was born from a mom and a dad. And she was born with her parents. Well, her parents die. The Bible does not tell us how. And her uncle, Mordecai, raises up and he decides, you know what? I'm going to take in Esther as one of my own. And he begins to raise her. So here Esther is. She's grown up in a Jewish nation. She's Jewish. She believes in God. And there's a king then at that time. His name is King Xerxes. King Xerxes is the king of the most powerful country of that time. Persia at that time in history was the most powerful force to be reckoned with. They had the biggest army. They had the most resources. They had everything. It was a pagan nation. They did not serve God. They worshiped idols and did all kinds of awful things. Well, the king one day gets upset at Queen Vashti, which is his wife, and he decides, I don't want her to be queen anymore. So he sends out a decree that he's looking for young girls who are interested in being a queen. So here we have the first America's top model, and uh, 100 uh, women from 127 provinces come in, and listen to this, ladies, they undergo a year's worth of spa treatments. Come on, somebody. I think I need a year's worth of spa treatments to prepare myself for the destiny God has for me, of course. So she undergoes a year's worth of spa treatments, which can you imagine being with women from 127 provinces for a whole year? Man, I would like that reality show TV. (laughs) And uh, so she goes through all this. Well, the Bible tells us she then goes before the king, and above everybody else, the king picks her to be the next queen. Here she is from a parentless home was abandoned, raised by her uncle. She's Jewish. She's contrary to what everybody believes in that whole nation. And here she finds herself on the throne. How amazing is that? I think the first thing that we could gather from Esther's life is the first thing I want to tell you is that you are called to shine into dark places. Shine, baby, shine. 
I love this in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. And let's read it 1 through 4. We'll read it together here on the screen. It says, Arise from the depression and the prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine and be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2. You're okay. And behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. Over who? You. And his glory will be seen upon you. See, here's the thing. Is the Bible never says that you need a light in light places. Uh, Have you ever walked into a room and it be dark at night and you come home and it's a late night and you walk into your house and it's all dark? Have you ever just walked out and thought, well, forget it. I guess I just can't go home. It's too dark. Have you ever done that? That that would be ridiculous, right? What is the first thing you do? Is anybody like me? You're kind of afraid of the dark. You do the kick the door open and like reach as fast as you can and the door swings shut. So you kick it again and you reach in to see if you can get the light. Anybody else like that? Uh, I'm kind of like that. I hate the dark, but I've never walked into a dark room, Isaiah, and gone, you know what? Lights aren't on. Sorry, guess I, I can't be here. No, the first thing you do is try to find light. I think so many times in our Christian world, we are intimidated by darkness. And we have a church and a movement of churches right now that are against anyone and everything. We're against sin. We're against that. And we're against all things that are darkness. But here's the thing. I want to encourage you that you are called to be a light in a dark place. Esther was not a queen in a Christian nation. She was not not a queen in a Jewish nation. She was uh, she was the complete opposite of all the people she was leading, but God set her there to be a light. When do you need light the most? When it's dark. I, I challenge you, if you are in a organization, if you're working with a people group that they're all lost, that is amazing. That is your best opportunity. As pastors, we have to fight to get to places where there's lost people because all we're surrounded by is Christians all the time, and Christians kind of make you crazy after a while. And and I'm like, I give me some lost people. That's why you always see Jesus. Jesus spent more time on the streets. Come on, somebody. He spent more time going to parties and, and around sinners and tax collectors than he did in the synagogues. Why is that? It's because he knew that his light would shine brightest if it was in a dark place. I want to challenge you. Begin to shine with the light of Jesus. Esther made a huge difference, and it wasn't because she was in a nation that was ready for her. It was because she was in a nation that was contrary to what she believed. I want you to begin to stand up and shine the way God wants you to shine. Let's stop cursing darkness and start asking God to make us shine brighter. Let's stop shouting at the darkness and let's start being a light in a dark place. What are you making brighter? What are you making brighter? Here Esther is. She shows up and and she didn't change who she was. She just shone with the light of God. I want to challenge you. Begin to shine with the light of God. I always tell my kids, and I know that we tell you this all the time, but I tell you it because I hope that you begin to declare over your kids. I tell my kids all the time, you're the pastor of your school. You're the pastor of your school. You're sent in there to be a light in a dark place. I I want you to go in there to pray for the sick, to see the lost saved. That's why my kids will lead people to Christ on on the recess while other kids are climbing on the monkey bars. That's why my child goes to the special needs classroom and begins to minister to kids in there while other kids are at recess. Does she do that because, oh, well, it's just part of being a pastor's kid? No, she got that her light shines the brightest when she goes to places that are the darkest. What are you making? 
making brighter? What are you making better? The second thing I think Esther would tell us is favor. You got to have favor. We see in Esther's life that she had an unbelievable amount of favor. Um, in Esther 2, 15 through 17, it says this. Now in the turn for Esther, the daughter of Yes, and the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, had come to go into the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's attendant, the keeper of the women, suggested. And Esther won favor. Somebody say favor. In the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Asherius in the royal palace in the tenth month, in the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more. Somebody say more. Then all the women, and she obtained grace and what? Favor in his sight more than all the maidens, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. What an amazing story. I, I want to tell you that in your life, you need more favor on your life. Here in, uh, let's read together in the book of Luke 2.52. I love this. It tells us the best. And Jesus increased with wisdom and stature and with favor with God and man. What? Think about this. This is Jesus, the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that he increased in wisdom and stature. So that means as he was a child and he grew, he not only grew physically, but it tells us, and in favor with God and man. Now, if it's possible for Jesus to grow with favor with God... How much more is it possible for me to grow with favor with God? It says that he grew both with favor with God and man. You need more favor from God on your life to do the call that you're called to do. You need more favor from God on your life to begin to stand out. The reason why Esther stood out was not because she was the prettiest, the most talented. She wasn't from the right country. She didn't have the right belief system. But it was the favor of God that was on her life. You know, we went... um, Brian's Nana, she's really funny, and she has odd dreams. And she told me, she's like, it's always been a dream of mine to go to Black Friday sale at Macy's. Some people dream of running businesses, opening orphanages. Nana dreams of Black Friday at Macy's. Mind you, Macy's is about a two-hour drive from Nana's house, the closest Macy's. So as a good granddaughter-in-law, I decided that I would load up the whole family and of all the women from my husband's clan, who I love so much. And um, it was very loud in the car. And we drove there to Bike Friday to Macy's. And we're circling the parking lot. Now, you got to take, have you anybody, any Black Friday shoppers in here? I, I would just as soon pay double than to go on Black Friday. That $5 crock pot ain't worth it. That $50 off your iPad that they're only giving away three and you're camping out overnight for it, it's not worth it to me. But I went for Nana, and literally there's no parking spots in the whole place. And we pull in the parking lot, and Aunt Gay, and Brian's Aunt Gay is very loud, and she, you never question what she thinks. And she told, she goes, there is no way we're going to get a parking spot. 
We might as well forget it. This ain't ever going to happen. We're going to have to walk forever. Crystal, you'll just have to drop us off at the front door and circle the parking lot while we shop. And I said, no, we're going to get a parking spot. She goes, well, what makes you think you're so special that you're going to get a parking spot? I said, because I have favor. I, I have supernatural favor on my life. So I'm literally driving it and I, the car, and I'm going down the first aisle. Somebody say the first aisle. I'm going down the first aisle, and I just said, God, thank you that you love me. And that I have favor. I thank you for a front parking spot. God, it's the best parking spot. Right in front of this front door right here. And Aunt Gay goes, well, if that's not the stupidest prayer I've ever heard in my whole life. She goes, Crystal, there are kids starving and dying. And you're praying for a parking spot. I mean, she's just letting have. She goes, there ain't going to be a parking spot. And wouldn't you know, right when we get up to that front parking spot, this car, dink, puts their car in reverse. <laughs> And I looked at her and I said, favor ain't fair. (laughs) And she goes, I've never seen something like this happen. I said, you don't roll with me. This happens all the time. This, this is normal. You should see when I really start praying. And, and I pulled into the parking spot. And I know that's humorous and kind of funny, but don't we sometimes think that prayers ranked in priority to God? And if you'll start having faith for the little things, you'll start seeing God work in the big things. I think a lot of times we don't see God move in the big things because we're so intimidated to pray for the little. Our faith, I believe, is built the most when we pray for the small things and God begins to show up. You know, Lacey that works on, uh, that sings on our worship team, she doesn't work up there. She's working. She's with a hammer. Um, When she sings on our worship team, and she's amazing. Her husband's a head of a department here at the church. And she had applied for a job at A&M Commerce. And she really wanted the job. She believed God for it. She applied her faith. And she went in for the interview as the second interview. She thought, oh, man, this is going to be the one. This is it. I've got favor of God on my life. Everything's going to turn out great. She goes in for the second interview, and they said, you know, you're just not really the one that we're looking for. You're talented. You've got it all together, but we just don't really think that you're going to be a good fit here. Man, Lacey was crushed. She came to church that Wednesday night, and she told me about it. She was crying. She was so sad. And I told her, I said, you know what? We're just going to believe God that the favor that's on your life is going to, God's going to use this to promote you. That this looks like it's a setback, but I just am declaring it's going to be a setup. And she's like, everything in her, she's like, okay, I'm going to believe. But you know when you're heartbroken, you really can't believe at the same time? And so I just began to encourage her, you've got the favor of God on your life to do supernatural things, to have supernatural positions that you didn't earn, that you didn't even apply for. And she's like, okay, I'll believe with you. Well, a week goes by, and Lacey gets a phone call, and it's from L3 in Greenville. And they called because they had a job opening position, and they had talked to their friend who was the one who was interviewing Lacey at Texas A&M. And they said, you know, we hired this, we went to hire this girl, but she wasn't a fit. But man, she sounds like she'd be a perfect fit there for you. They began to tell her about Lacey, and they said, I think that's what we're looking for. They brought her in for an interview, a job she didn't even apply for. She didn't even know was available. And they began to talk to her, and they said, I think we're going to give you the job, but let me make sure with upper management that it's going to be okay. She said, all right. 
Well, she got the email saying that she got the job, and she was so excited. I mean, she got the job she didn't even apply for. She said, man, if this isn't God's supernatural favor, I don't know what is. And so then they said, well, we've got to have a phone call with you to finalize the details and, and just to make it real official. So they called her, and, and on the phone call, they talked about her pay that they had agreed on, and they said, you know, when we brought this to upper management, we decided that we're not going to be paying you enough. So we decided to pay you even more than what we originally offered. And Lacey just began to weep as she was telling me the story. She said, I'm so glad that I didn't get the job at Texas A&M Commerce because God gave me double with the one in L3. Come on, somebody. What is that? That's the favor of God on your life. If we begin to be a church, begin to be a people that every day begin to declare, I'm going to increase with favor with God and with man, I think we begin to see supernatural miracles begin to break out in our life. Let's start to believe God. I can hear some people in, in here going, well, I don't need more favor on my life. That's so dumb. You know, favor is always attracted to purpose. And when you don't have a big purpose on your life, then you really don't need much favor. But when you begin to go after something that's bigger than you, then all of a sudden you're going to need the favor from God. Some of us, I think we set our goals too low. It's goals that we could accomplish on our own. Esther was looking to change a nation. She needed supernatural favor from God to do the assignment. If you're not praying for favor, then I just challenge you this, that you're not praying big enough prayers. You're not praying bold enough prayers. God is honored the most when we begin to pray the biggest kinds of prayers. Esther was set out not to just be a queen that sat in a place of luxury, but she was there on assignment to do a God-appointed task. And when you begin to go after something bigger than yourself, you'll begin to pray bold kind of prayers and begin to believe God for favor on our life. We need to stop praying for more talent and start praying for more favor. You know, with us here at the church, we've gone in through so many different obstacles as we've navigated through launching this church and doing all that we're doing. And every time, the one declaration you can ask people whenever they said, how can we pray for you? How can we believe God for your church? And the one thing I always tell them is just believe God that we'll increase with favor with God and man. Because we know if God is on our side, if we have favor on our lives and on this church, there is nothing that's too big for us. And time Time after time, we've gone into meetings with the city, and, and we look like, man, there's no way this is going to work out. And we'll get in there, and they'll go, I don't know why, but we just want to do this for you. I don't know why, but we just want to bless you. I don't know why, but we're just going to make this work out for you. Come on, somebody. Maybe your life has been frustrating because you've been doing it on your own instead of relying on the favor of God to do what He only he can do. The next thing I think Esther would tell us is this is your time. I could just go off on this verse. This makes me excited. This is my favorite verse. Uh, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite? This is probably one of my favorites, and I know I say everyone's my favorite, but this really is one of my favorites. Esther 4, 14. Let's read it together. Mordecai's talking to Esther. Let's think about this. They've just found out that all the Jewish people are about to be killed. All. Somebody say all. Now, that's not a big deal if you're not Jewish, Right? She's Jewish. That means she's about to die. And Mordecai, her uncle. So here he is. He's telling her of the situation. It looks bleak. Esther doesn't know what to do. And she's in a quandary. Here she is. She's queen. But the whole Jewish people is about to be wiped out. And here, Esther 4.14, Mordecai declares this over her. For if you keep silent at this time, 
Relief and deliverance shall rise for the Jews from elsewhere. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this and for this very occasion. Man, that gets me excited. He let her know, quit shrinking from the opposition that's in front of you and start going after it. You were created. You were born for such a time as this and for this very occasion. I love this in 2 Corinthians 6-2 in the Amplified Translation. Let's read this together. For he says, in the time of favor, of an assured welcome, I have listened to and heeded your call, and I have helped you on the day of deliverance, the day of salvation. Behold, now, somebody say now now. Tap your neighbor and say, I said now. Now is truly the time of gracious welcome and acceptance of you from God. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I love this because it's letting us know, quit waiting for someday and one day or yesterday. I might have. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 8, it says that he is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Now, here's the church. We believe that he's the God of yesterday because we love to celebrate the things that God used to do. I have people all the time. I love you. I love you with all my heart. But you come up to me and you're like, I'm 70 years old. And I remember when I went to church camp when I was 10. That's awesome. And they say, well, it was the best moment of my life. Okay, that's great. That's the God of yesterday. But the best moment of your life shouldn't be 60 years ago. It should be now. Now is the time. This is your moment. But then a lot of times we say, well, I'll believe God for tomorrow. Because a lot of times people tell me, well, Crystal, I'll start tithing when? I'll start believing God when. Isn't it funny that someday and one day never get here? So we believe in the God of yesterday. We believe the God of our future, but we have a hard time believing the God of right now. Mordecai declares over her, could it be that you were born, you were created, you were formed, fashioned, you are on the throne for such a time as this and this very occasion. It is your time, church, to begin to rise up like never before. It is your time to begin to take the lead like never before. People tell me all the time, and, and I am an intense person. I know that. I, I'm a little bit intense. I have people tell me all the time, you just need to kind of chill out. You need to, you know, don't work so much. Don't do so much. You know, take days off, da-da-da. Yeah, whatever. Um, but I'm like, don't, you don't even know. Because here's my thing. I'm, this gets me so excited. You only have one life. You only have one. And Esther understood she only gets one chance to make a difference. You only have one opportunity. There is no do-overs. At school, you get to retake courses. If you fail, you get to try it again. If you don't get one job, it's okay. You can apply for another. But in life, this is it. This one moment, this one time, Mordecai's letting her know, don't squander away your greatest opportunity because it looks like opposition. I want somebody in this place to begin to run as fast as they can. People go, you set too high of goals. I think my goals are too low. I think I need to start dreaming bigger because here's the thing is he tells her if deliverance does not come from you, surely God will rise up somebody else. Let me just tell you, there is people waiting on you to step out and do what God's called you to do. There are people that are waiting in the wings. And if you don't step out and if you're not the mouthpiece, who will, who will reach out to that neighbor? Who will reach out to that clerk? Who's going to begin to start that organization? Who's going to write that book? I want people to begin to say, you know what? If I perish, I perish. And that was Esther's declaration after Mordecai began to speak purpose and life into her. She decided, you know what? I only get one life to make this count. I'm going to give it everything I've got. What if you begin to run 
after God with everything you had? What if you begin to treat the Bible like it really means what it says? That it's not words on a page. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some make-believe little practice round where you're playing Call of Duty at home, and if you die, you die. It's okay because you have five lives. No, this is the real deal, and lives are hanging in the balance. Come on, somebody. I get so passionate about this because I feel like we think that one day we will. What if one day never comes? You only get one life. This is it. This isn't a dress rehearsal. We're not playing games here. What if you begin to go after your goals like you really meant it? What if you begin to get together as a couple and say, God, man, what if God could, what could God do in our finances if we begin to get debt free? What if we as a family begin to say, oh, hey, how can we help out how many organizations this year outside of our church? What if you begin to join a serve team? Do you think people on a serve team are just doing it for kicks? No, they're not doing it for kicks. They're doing it because they know that this life matters and that people matter. There's two questions that you're going to have to answer at the end of this life. There's two things. Sorry, I get a little passionate about this. I know I need to chill out. I'm not going to chill out. I had this lady tell me the other day, you've got to have everything like this or you're not happy. Like it was a bad thing. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, that's what got me here. <laughs> Two questions that you're going to have to answer. Have I done everything God sent me to do? When you get to heaven, you're going to have to answer that. Did you do everything that God sent you to do? The second question that you're going to have to answer is this. Did you bring everyone he sent you to get? Esther knew that question was waiting her on, this, on the other side of eternity. And she didn't want to have to answer either one of those as no. That's why she looked at Mordecai and she said, if I perish, I perish. Let me just tell you this, dear ones. You don't know real persecution. Christians here, if you lose followers on Twitter, you think you're being persecuted. The real people that lay down their lives, they, they lay down their life, not followers. Not, I'm going to unfollow you on Facebook. Like that's something making a stand. Come on, somebody. Let's go after this thing. Let's do what raised up a country and a generation where we're addicted to comfort. Esther could have sat back. She had favor with the king. The king loved her. Most likely, if all the Jews would have died, he would have spared her life because he loved her. She could have remained in a place of comfort, but she chose to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want to live a life that is so big that the legacy can't be fully fulfilled in my lifetime, but it goes on generations down the line. You know, Joel Osteen is one of my favorite people, and we're close friends with the Osteen family. We love the Osteen family. If you don't love them, I'm sorry you don't know them. Um, they're the most amazing, loving, generous people. When we announced that we were launching this church, the Osteen family was the first to sow into this house, the first. And whenever um, his dad was a pastor, and he was up and he was declaring that they were going to be a church of tens of thousands, that they were going to have a TV show that would go around the world and, and declaring all these big God-sized dreams, right? And at that time, their church was nearly the size of what it is now. 
whenever John Osteen passed away, he had made a good dent. He had built a good church, but it was nothing like what he had seen in his heart, nothing like what he had declared. And how many of you know that Joel Osteen now, he's dubbed America's pastor, whether you like him or not, he's seen more people wander the kingdom than you've ever thought of winning. And here's the thing, is he would have never seen that if he lived a life that was small and thought, well, it's just my life. It doesn't really make a difference. Thousands and millions of people, his ratings rival Oprah. That's a lot of people with the gospel message of Jesus. What can you do to make a difference? Esther was able to do what she did because she knew there were two questions that she was going to have to answer at the end of her life. Number one, and I want you to think about this for yourself. Have I done everything that you sent me to do? When you get to heaven, you're going to have to answer that question. Did you do everything God sent you here to do? Did you win the people? Did you do the stuff? Did you go after it? Did you do everything he sent you to do? The number, the number two question that you're going to have to answer is, did I bring everyone with me that you sent me to get? That question keeps me awake at night. Who are you winning? You know when you feel heaven the closest? I think every believer should experience this. There's people, they say, oh, Crystal, you know, I don't feel God's presence like I used to. You know when you feel heaven like it's the closest? It's when you lead somebody to Christ. When you're standing on an aisle at Walmart, you grab the person's hands and you begin to pray with them and lead them to Christ right there. No piano in the background, nothing. It's like heaven comes down right there. When you're sitting in a yogurt store and, and you're get, you went for dessert and this girl goes, does your tattoo, do you really believe that your, what your tattoo says, that old things have passed away, that all things could become new? Do you really believe that? And I say, yes. And she begins to weep and says, I want to know this God that you serve. You're sitting there in a frozen yogurt store leading somebody to Christ. I want to know when you get to heaven, did you get everybody that God sent you to get? She knew there's too many people that hang in the balance. Well, Crystal, that's good for you. I mean, you're a pastor. That's your job. No, that's our job. I can't reach the people you're going to reach. I don't live in the neighborhood you live. I don't work with the people you work with. And God's going to ask you a question. Did you get everybody I sent you to get? And that's why she was able to declare, if I perish, I perish. You know, love him or hate him, one of my favorite people is Steve Jobs. And I think he lived a phenomenal life. I personally believe that he got saved at the end of his life. That's what I cling to. He was raised in a, in a Christian home. And I think one of the best quotes he has is that our life is a series of dots along a map. And they can only be fully understood when you're looking back at the end of it. You hope that they all connect. You know, sometimes when you're doing connect the dots in school, it seems like when you start out with number one, it's like it doesn't give you a picture. You don't know what it's going to look like. And you're going from one to two up here to three down here. And it's like you're going all over the map and you don't know if you're making stars or rainbows or what's happening. And then at the end, when all the dots are connected, all of a sudden it makes this beautiful picture and you get where all the dots were leading you. I want you to think about this. Esther was left without parents. She didn't have a mom to teach her how to be a lady. There was no woman on record that helped mother her. She was left without sisters. 
She was left without a family like most people have. She was raised without a father. And here she was unwanted by everybody else in her family but her uncle Mordecai. Now here she is. She comes into the throne. And it seems like the biggest obstacle was set before her. Here she was. She had eluded death all of her life, had made it that far. And it looked like God was about to let her down. But at the end of the book of Esther, we read how God supernaturally saved all the Jewish people. And then she was able to look back and see, oh, I see the picture that you were making. You know, I just want to challenge you. Sometimes in life, you're going to go through a lot of stuff. And none of it's going to seem to make sense. I know what it's like to watch a single mom raise three kids in a house that was unfit for anyone to live in working hard, doing everything that she can to make it. I know what it is to be, in, before I was 16, babysitting in the summers to give my mom money to pay the electric bill. I know what it's like. I had somebody come to me not too long back and they said, if you could do it all again, would you do anything differently? And I said, no, I'd do it all. I'd have it all the way it was. You know why? Because each one was a dot that got me here and where I am. I wouldn't have this heart. I wouldn't have this passion. I wouldn't have this zeal. It would be a different me. It would. And let me just challenge you. When you look back over your life, sometimes when you're in it, the dots don't seem to make sense. But Esther looked back and she saw all those things made me the fighter I am today. All those things made me the warrior that I am today. All those things made me who I am on the inside that I'm able to stand up to a king and say, you know what? If I perish, I perish. Forget this life. I was never tied to it anyways. I'm more tied to a purpose. I'm more tied to a God than I am to your favor, to your love, or to whatever you have. Because I know that God has so much more for me. When we begin to get that tenacious spirit, I think we'll begin to see God do such great things in our cities, in our lives. But this is our time right now. Don't squander it. He's the God of yesterday. He's the God of our tomorrows, but he's the God of right now.